Welcome to the Tailored Life Podcast, the one and only fitness and nutrition podcast that goes way beyond just training and nutrition and helps you create a life by design. I'm your host, Cody McBroom, and with me is my co-host, Travis McQueen. Today we got a Q&A. And for those of you who are returning to the podcast, once again, thank you for being here. We appreciate it. As always, uh, we are happy that you are liking the podcast. If you have any questions, Click the link in the description. You can ask us anything and you will be featured on these episodes. That is always there and it is always in the bio of my Instagram as well. Um, And if you like the podcast and you're here again, leave us a five-star rating review if you have not yet. If you are a new listener, thank you for being here. We appreciate it and we hope you like the podcast and feel the need to leave us a rating and review after the show. Um, Man, let's get into some questions. There we go. All right, we will start off today with one that's coming from Marie. says, I am an ex-CrossFitter. I have been weightlifting with my husband for two weeks now. He's impressed about the amount of weight I can lift. Quite frankly, so am I. I feel great. However, I don't feel lean anymore. I just feel bulky, bloated, sore, and kind of honestly fat. Is this something I... Is this something you normally hear about? I eat 1,700 calories and track my macros via my fitness pal. I just don't want to feel, quote-unquote, thick forever. I don't think I have enough context to actually give really good advice. So, like, have I ever heard this before? 100%. The problem is, is most of the time when I hear somebody say this, they're not actually in a calorie deficit losing weight. Um, The reality is this. No matter what, especially somebody like this, okay, so you're an ex-crossfitter and you are impressing yourself and others with how much you can lift, which tells me one thing, you are not new to this. <laughs> you are not a beginner. So we can rule out newbie gains. You know, when somebody comes in the gym and they go into a deficit and they start lifting heavy, they could absolutely build muscle while being in a calorie deficit because they're brand new to lifting. Totally. Somebody like this, isn't. it's not going to happen. And on top of that, you're a female, which means that you are already in a position where uh, it's less favorable to build a lot of muscle. Now, can women build a good amount of muscle? Of course. We've seen it countless times. Um, however, it's, I mean, it's science. Men can build more muscle faster, period, right? We're, we're built for it from a structure perspective and a hormonal perspective. Um, so... And the reason I say that is because even a guy who is advanced, who is, I could have a dude that is 25 years old, full of testosterone, ready to grow, um, but he's been lifting for five plus years. And if he's in a deficit, he's still not going to get bulky (laughs) and he's not going to build muscle quick because he's an advanced lifter in a calorie deficit. It's just not going to happen. So I think number one, like we can't blame weightlifting on you feeling that way. I don't think that's the case. Um, Now, if you were an ex-crossfitter who hasn't lifted anything for three years and now you just got back into it, maybe. But even then, I would say, I mean, where do you – like, this is where it's hard for me too because, like, if you're – let's say you're doing a uh, something like a, uh, a small off program, which is like tons of squats throughout the week, right, Olympic lifting, stuff like that. Then I would say, like, maybe your legs feel – bulky because you just you're constantly squatting heavy and you got a lot of lactic acid accumulation and you're just sore all the time so there's inflammation in the quads i could see that maybe but it doesn't explain feeling bloated and quote-unquote fat like you know what i mean like nobody's going to feel bloated and fat from lifting weights which is why i don't think it has anything to do with it um if you've only been eating 1700 calories for two weeks i'd say just be patient you probably are in a calorie deficit i mean um or who knows? I mean, you could be, uh, did, it didn't say how much she weighs, did it? Nope. So you could be 110 pounds for all I know and five foot one and 1,700 calories is not a deficit. You yeah. know what I mean? I think that's where people need to remember like the smaller you are, 
less calories you're going to be able to eat. So um, it's hard to say for sure. I, I would probably say that uh, if 1,700 calories is indeed a deficit for you, you just got to be in that deficit a little bit longer. Otherwise, you're probably not actually at 1,700 calories, which I just, I, I don't want to say that because that's usually the case. When somebody says this to me, I'm usually like, oh, you're probably mistracking. You're probably not actually in the deficit. Uh, but somebody who is advanced like this, I can tell by the way they worded the question, they probably know how to track their calories, mm-hmm. you know? So I would probably assume that you are indeed consuming that many calories. Um, and if it is a deficit, you just haven't been in that deficit for long enough. If it is not a deficit because you are five foot one and 110 pounds, which is common yep. um, for women that we see, you know, trying to lose weight and stuff, um, you might have to cut your calories a little bit lower. But I don't think weightlifting has anything to do with it, yeah. honestly. So um, be patient. Uh, make sure you're very accurate with how you're doing things. Um, and, uh, and yeah, that's it. I mean, I'm sorry. That's not the answer you want to hear. But usually usually it's that's the case. Yeah. You know, um, If you need more help, obviously go to the website. We have tons of content on uh, – I mean, we, should, we have articles on female muscle growth guides. We have articles on how to create a deficit properly. We have articles on uh, the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system and how stress affects fat loss. So if you're training too hard, not sleeping enough, all those kind of things, like all your answers are going to be there. Um, and obviously, too, if you need one-on-one help, you get a free call if you, if you sign up for coaching. So go to the website and try to get help that way totally. you know, if, if this isn't enough for you. Love it. All right, cool. We will go on to the next one. Is from Ilona Launu. Uh, I don't know if I butchered that. I'm sorry, Ilona. But when do you when do you rec- recommend incorporating specialized programs? When do you and how do you go about adjusting the training split t- to allow for direct body part specialization? So I think that when is when you there's there's two scenarios here. Um, when somebody gets to a point where they're advanced enough to where a balanced program isn't going to create further growth. Um, actually, there's three scenarios. There's that. There's So I can think of a client right now I have, and he's been growing fantastic, and we're doing a, a push-pull leg split six days a week. And there hasn't been a need to specialize. I thought about it recently, and I'm going to bring up the conversation with them, actually, but... I haven't felt the need to yet because we have a pretty even distribution of volume across all body parts and he's just steady growing. You know, it's like, why, why try to specialize anything if everything's growing adequately, right? Yeah. When that person gets to a point where they're no longer just evenly growing across all muscle groups, then you might need to preferentially push more volume into one specific area, body part, whatever, um, or extremity. And in that scenario... You basically have, um, it's just a matter of you are getting too, too advanced of a point, right? And you just need to specialize volume. That's, that's all it is. Um, we can't expect, because your body can only recover from so much. And that's also where if somebody has any desire to not get too fat in the process of bulking, they might want to specialize when they get to this point. Because if I am to increase volume across the board, I'm going to have to eat more sleep more sometimes it's just not conducive to your lifestyle right and that's yeah. the other scenario here like for me right now the way I've been kind of planning my training for the last it's like eight weeks I usually like to do it either eight or 12 week blocks so like two or three mesocycles but like for the last eight weeks I've, I've done a lot more volume on my lats and my arms and that was my focus right um and to be honest with you now that I've, I've been digging more and more and more into it I probably wouldn't do that again only because I would do like lats and triceps maybe but like if you think about lats, a lot of times when you're pulling anything, your biceps are working as well. 
some people might think that that's an advantage because if you're going to specialize in lats, you might as well do biceps too because you're getting a little extra volume there. The problem is, is that when I do a ton of rowing, it limits how much I can lift for curls. If I do a ton of curling, it limits how much I can do for pulling. Because if I'm trying to grow my back and my biceps are sore from all the arm training because I'm specializing in biceps too, that creates an issue. Um, but point being is like an eight-week block of focusing on that. And the main reason is because some weeks I can get six days in the gym. Most weeks I can't. So I don't want to try to commit to six days and I can't commit to more hours in the gym. So I have one of two options, either grow really, really, really slow or not at all, or just put more volume in one area and do less in the other. Totally. So if I wanted to grow everywhere, I would have to be in the gym longer or for more days a week or both. But because I can't do that, I can instead decide, Hey, I'm just going to accept that. Like this next block is going to be uh, traps and chest. I'm going to accept that my lats and my arms and my quads and my hamstrings probably aren't going to grow. They're yeah. just going to maintain for the next two months. That's fine. I'm just going to try to focus on growing my chest and my traps for the next two, three months. And then after that, I'm going to switch to quads and abs or something like that. Right. Um, and it's because time is the limiting factor in me being able to do enough volume everywhere. Um, so that's another scenario where you would want to do it. Um, it's mainly just it, but mainly it comes down to if somebody is too advanced to where they're struggling to grow and we need to put a lot of volume into them to grow. But if we just put like, for example, if somebody needs to do more than 20 sets per muscle group per week in order to see a good amount of growth, cause they're so advanced at lifting. If we did that for every body part, their nervous system would just be crushed. Yeah. It would be very difficult for them to recover globally and systemically. They'd have sleep issues, stress issues, all kinds of stuff, hormonal issues, Instead, I'm going to go, hey, let's just drop to maintenance volume, 10 to 15 sets, and we're going to go 25 sets of just these couple body parts. Your total weekly volume for your whole body is about the same. It's not going to cause any issues with recovery, but we're going to just fucking smash these two muscle groups, right? One to two muscle groups. Um, so there's that. There's the, the case of a little bit of that, but also like in my scenario, schedule-wise, you just can't commit to more days. Yeah. Um, and then the third scenario would be somebody just does not give a shit about the other muscle groups. Like they're intermediate or advanced. They're just like, hey, like at the end of the day, I'm here because I want to develop these two to three body parts. I could care less about anything else, and I want to fast track this. You know, we've seen it with. I mean, this is what Brett Contreras got famous for. Glute, he's the glute guy. You know, women came to him. They're like, I don't care about anything but my legs. I just want to grow my glutes. Get it done. Cool. But we're gonna put a ton of volume on your glutes, and we're just gonna put the minimum amount of volume everywhere else to make sure that your posture, your strength, your function is okay. We're not worried about growing those muscle groups. Um, and so that's a scenario as well. And then how I distribute it throughout the week based on the split kind of depends on the person. So um, there's the obvious, you, you can do the bro way of going like, hey, let's do an upper lower split. And then a fifth day of the week, for example, is just straight whatever the group is. Um, so you could go upper, lower, or like, how would it go? Um, lower, upper, lower, upper glute day. And you just smash your glutes. The whole I personally don't like that as much because I think you would get more, based on most research, you'd get more out of increasing the frequency. So for example, this, uh, this next chest and trap block that I'm doing, it's an upper, lower, push, pull, leg split. But what I do is like, since it's upper, lower, push, pull, legs, I'm going upper body, hitting my chest and traps, lower body, push day, hitting my chest and traps, or sorry, hitting my chest, pull day hitting my traps and then the leg day I throw in some chest and traps totally so it's more of like leg day plus one extra set or one extra exercise so I'll do four sets of bench press and then four sets of shrugs on that leg day um and so you can kind of just sprinkle it in uh but usually it's one of those two routes that we're going to take um I I would go with the higher frequency route in any case that I can um 
because it just makes more sense. If instead of me doing one day of glutes or one day of chest and traps or one day of biceps where I'm just obliterating them, especially after we had James Krieger on, he talked about this. There's a cap at how much volume you can do per session and and maximize growth. So instead of me just doing 20 sets in a single day, I'm going to do eight sets on Monday of chest, eight sets on Wednesday of chest, and then four to six sets on Friday of chest, right? And I sprinkle it out, do a total high amount of volume per week, and then each session is is managed better. And then the load I use in those sessions are better too. So um, yeah, that's how I I would break it down, honestly. Yeah. Cool. All right. We will move on to the next one from Tiffany Little. It says, how do I stay 113 to 115 pounds year round when I feel best there? I'm worried that if if I undereat when I'm super busy at work, I'll stress my body out more. Do I manipulate calories in my busy season? Where am I going wrong? Do I need to do uh, cardio? My sleep is excellent, but my digestion is not. How do I lose five pounds without stressing out my body? My menses uh yeah like menstrual cycle and uh, hormonal okay. function my menstrual cycle is normal any thoughts i do two upper body two lower body and i do have good muscle definition so i, I wish i down. yeah i wish i knew what her job was because upper lower is not that crazy of a split that causes issues there was a big paragraph before kind of explaining just her goals and everything yep. um but you can tell like 113, 115, really she just, she's asking, how do I stay lean year round, right? So the short version of the answer is periodization. Um, the, the long version of the answer is accepting maintenance in certain periods of time. Like for example, should you increase your calories during your busy season of work? Potentially. Mm-hmm. I mean, you should essentially periodize your intake to match the activity level and stress output that you have of your body. Um, in order to stay lean while doing that is you just have to periodize it way ahead of time so that you can slowly increase your calories when that time comes. Um, now, the problem is, is that um, if we do run into digestive issues, hormonal issues, anything like that, you can't reverse diet too slow after a cut. And that's where the periodization can, you know, it throws a wrench in the curve because like you might have to stop the plan of going slow and increase rapidly to fix those issues. Now, Staying 113 to 115 pounds is relative to you. And it's ultimately the answer depends on how lean that actually is. Because the weight doesn't mean shit to me, to be honest with you. The body fat percentage associated with that means a lot more to me. And the calories it requires you to consume in order to get to there is more relative to me. And the problem with that is is I have no idea what those numbers are because I can't see you in front of me. So um, here's my like my cliff notes or like short take on how to stay lean year round, in my opinion. Um, I think that everybody should get to let's for her example, let's say 115 pounds is like her leanest sustainable. I would advise somebody to get within three to five pounds of that first. So we cut till we're at like 120. Then when you're at 120, we get out of that while staying there. Cause it's going to be a lot easier to reverse diet and sustain 120 than it is going to be to reverse diet from 115 and sustain that because it's leaner, right? So if we do that first, maintain it, then we go back into a cut to reach 115. We're just kind of taking a step-by-step approach. It's going to be easier to sustain the leaner weight after that. And then when it comes to kind of resetting your body fat set point, I believe it's possible. I think it just requires a lot more patience than most people have. And that's why I like that step-by-step approach because For example, if you were to get to 115 instead of 120, it would probably take you another 
four, six, eight weeks, let's say. That's four to eight weeks, one to two extra months of dieting that creates a psychological, physical, and physiological stress, making it harder to adhere to a reverse diet, right? So if we don't go that far first, we can get out of the diet when we're not um, so beat up, essentially, because the hardest part about a reverse diet is that when you finish the diet, you're like, okay, I'm hungry, I'm stressed, and your body is screaming for more food. And then you go, okay, now we're going to go really, really slow and increase calories when your body's like, no, I need more food now. But if you stopped ahead of time and did that process, it would be a lot easier to adhere to the reverse diet slowly. Um, and then you can go back and finish the cut. And it would be a shorter cut, which would make it, again, easier to adhere to. Yep. Except now we just doubled the length of the total time to get there, which is the periodization part. But that's what makes people frustrated. Um, most of the time, people just have too short-minded of, a, of an approach, right? So, like, I think sometimes, too, like, I, I've worked with a lot of people. Um, and, again, I'm going to give a lot of just random um, beat-around-the-bush answers because I don't know you personally. I can't give you a, a specific answer to that. Um, but... I've worked with enough people over time to know that when somebody really wants to weigh 113 to 115, like they have that set number, sometimes we have to work on eliminating the, like essentially take the scale or the number off the pedestal. Because the problem with most people is they put this number on the pedestal and they're so fixated on weighing this much weight that they ignore the fact of what that weight actually gives them, right? And what it should give them. There you go. What it should give them or what they want out of it, they just don't realize it because it's masked by this weight on the scale, is that it makes them feel leaner, their clothes fit better, they have more energy, they feel sexier, more confident, whatever it may be. But the crazy part is, is if you ask that same person, if I could give you all of those things, but you weighed 120, would you be happy? A lot of times people hesitate. They kind of sit there and they're afraid to say yes. And it, it, it blows my mind because you sit there and you're like, but I give you everything you want. It's just the number on the scale is different. Mind you, the number on the scale that nobody fucking sees except you and your doctor once a year in a private room. And he forgets the moment he gets out because he could care to give two fucks about how much you weigh, really, right? So the problem is the number on the pedestal, Mentally. right? So we have to shift away from being so attached to that number. You don't walk around with a name tag that says, hi, my name is Cody and I weigh 170 pounds. Like nobody asks that, yep. you know? And if somebody says, oh my God, you look so great. What have you been doing? You just say, oh, I've been working out and eating really well. You don't have to say, I dropped this much weight. Yeah. You know, in fact, if you didn't and you fixed your mindset and you said, I actually gained three pounds, it would probably help them shift their mindset too, which would be really, really good for them. But that's the big problem here, I, I believe. I don't know this person, so I can't say it for sure. But I've worked with so many people that get in this, this mindset of putting the scale number on the pedestal. And it's such a big problem because the number on the scale doesn't do anything for you because I can get you to that number and you're more depleted, you have less muscle tissue, you're dehydrated and you feel like shit, or we can periodize properly, build muscle, fuel proper health, and you could sustain a weight that's a little bit heavier, but you look leaner, you look denser, you're more hydrated, you're healthier, you're going to live longer, you're training harder. I mean, it's way better. Yeah. It's just, it's just, it's crazy that like, and I've asked people this question that they stop and they kind of sit there like. I don't know. It's fixated around that number. But yeah. I think like a lot of people too, if you were to answer that question, like, oh, I gained three pounds. A lot of people would be like, no, you didn't. Exactly. Like, you look way less, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, okay. But I've don't wa- believe me. I've watched. <laughs> yeah, no. You know what I mean? Definitely. So a good example of this is a uh, shout out to one of my clients, Darshini. Um, I know she'll be listening to this too. Um, I just did her check-in literally just before I walked over here to record this podcast. 
And uh, she, she was just talking about how she was reflecting. So she started working with me last year. So we've been at this for a year and we went through an eight month gaining phase. So it was like we reversed her and then focused on building muscle for a long time. And she gained weight because she was trying to build muscle. And now we're in a cut and she just reached the same weight as when she started with me, right? So she didn't come to me wanting to lose. She wanted to recomp. But when she came to me, she had just got over like basically losing her period, not being in a healthy position. She, she did the cut the wrong way, right? So we reversed, focused on building muscle, health, all those things. Now she's the same weight as when she started and she's like super stoked. She's like, I look so much leaner and I clearly have more muscle. And it's because of this exact process. And she's not attached to the number on scale. She doesn't give a fuck about the number on scale. She like, she wants to feel good. She wants to look good and she wants to maintain her Hormonal health. That's awesome. Which is what we did. But it's a it's a good example because she literally weighs the exact same as when she started with me, which means that, but she's leaner, which means that she has more muscle tissue because she has less body fat on her body. But if she was just tied to the number, she'd be disappointed right now. She'd be like, I weigh the same as when we started. But because she's not tied to the number, we can go, yeah, but you're way leaner. Yeah. Because you did this you right. Feel better. Yeah. So that's what matters. I think, I think a lot of times these questions boil down to people being too fixated on that number. Totally. Okay, we will move on to the question. We have multiple questions coming from uh, Instagram now. We got one coming from Simply Sabes. It says, limiting belief you had about yourself that you had to push through or prove yourself wrong. Damn, great question. <clears throat> yeah. Um, limiting beliefs. I feel like there's quite a few, to be honest with you. Um, the first one that comes to mind is age. When... I mean, everything I did, I was always the youngest in the group. I mean, I probably still am, to be honest with you. Oh, I I, I turned 30 yesterday, and I had quite a few people that were like, you're only 30, you know? The mustache adds a few <laughs> yeah, years. <laughs> but um, I, I think, I mean, I, and I would say this too, like I definitely, like when, when I graduated high school and, you know, like Mazin went to Montana to play ball, Cameron went to Oregon to play ball, um, I mean, everybody like essentially went to colleges yeah. to like go play sports or do something. And I didn't. So it was like, okay, well, like my college is going to be cut in half first and foremost, and I got to find a job now. <laughs> so it was like, I kind of got into everything a little bit younger and I graduated at 17. Uh, Thomas, one of our best friends was, I mean, technically he's just a year and 10 days, but he's, I mean, he turned 31 and then I turned 30 a couple of days later. Like he's, and he was in the same class as me. Mm. So, um, I was always the youngest in, in everything. And then when I went into the fitness space, it was like, I got an internship at 18 and I'm lifting with 30 to 40 year olds. I'm going to seminars with 30 plus year old. You know what I mean? Like everybody was a decade or more older than me. I went on, uh, entrepreneur retreats, like resurrection week, warrior con, like all these things. And I was by far the youngest in all these groups. Right. Um, actually at warrior con, they actually did this thing where they were like, uh, they were trying to find the youngest person in the room and there was one person that beat me and it was because he was there with his dad and he was 18. It was pretty dope that he was there. But point being is like, I've always been the youngest and it was like an insecurity. It was like, to me, it was like, I'm not worthy. Or I didn't have the right to do yeah. a lot of things because I was too young. I didn't have no experience. Like, oh, these guys are older than me. Like I thought there was like this hierarchy by age that just, I didn't have approval or whatever. Or they would take me as a joke. I was immature. Um, I don't know what, eliminated that to be honest with you um there was a certain point where I think I just stopped giving a fuck I mean for lack of better terms there was just a point where it was like you know what it's not something you can 
fixate yourself on or yeah. be worried about. Yeah. And I think studying other entrepreneurs helped a lot too. Like I would just be really invested in like learning from other people, reading books, listen to podcasts. I'm sure some of these people that you listen to started at your age too. That you can saying. Yeah. yeah. When I started discovering other people who were a, a further ahead of me now, but they were talking about their story and I was like, Oh shit. Like, totally. Okay. Um, you know, and I think even that's a gift and a curse, dude, because I even thought, like, there was – I took a good amount of time this weekend to, like, kind of reflect on the last decade. And there's even been moments that, y- y- you know, Shannon was trying to, like, help – like, she was, like, talking to me about stuff, and she was like, it's so cool to see what you've accomplished at such a young age, you know. The difference is, is, like, her perspective is limited compared to mine. She's right, like, definitely – but her perspective is somewhat limited because she doesn't study all these people. Yeah. So in my mind, I go, yeah, but like this one dude was doing this by 27. Yeah. He created this by this age. You know what I mean? Like, and I see other people and I'm like, fuck, like I'm behind, you know, which is a, a, a shitty mindset to have. <laughs> very shitty mindset. And perspective. It's hard not to though. It's very hard Especially not when to. you want to get uh, bigger. Yeah, exactly. You want to so, do more. Um, and I think that would be, you know, that's another self-limiting belief right now is just like, it's comparison. They always say comparison is the thief of joy. Yep. I think comparison can, if you, if you allow it to, it will just crush you. But if you let it fuel you, it can help you grow. There's definitely downsides of it. Like you, for those of us who use comparison to grow, like I see people and at the end of the day, I'm like, fuck that. If he did that, I'm going to do more by this time or I'm going to do the same thing, but better. And like, it fuels me. But before it fuels me, it kind of crushes me. You know, like there's always that moment of like, damn, they're better than me. But here we go. But let's go. Yeah. You know, so you got to be able to shift. But I, I think like for me, the being younger was always a big self-limiting belief. Um, doubt of others started as a limiting belief and then ended up, I, I think I've always just been kind of, uh, I don't know what the word is, but like a chip on my shoulder kind of guy. So at first it, it was hard because certain people just didn't believe in the things I want to do. And I think a lot of people, I think most people in general, this is just an opinion, but I think most people in general have uh, a, a ve- there's a very common self-limiting belief across most people that is created by essentially the norm in today's world creates their standard. So they don't see the possibility of going any further because the norm creates the standard that they see in their life. Well, you know what I mean? So like when I was like, this is what I want to do, a lot of people who doubted me, they didn't doubt me because they didn't think I was a hard worker or, or could do it. Or, yeah, they just, it wasn't a possibility. So yeah. they literally were just, they cared about me. They're like, no, like you should have a plan B or like you should maybe go do something else because that doesn't, that doesn't happen. Like yeah. that doesn't work. So I think some people have that self-limiting belief. I've never had that. I've been able to like have a pretty big vision, but I think at, at a certain point hearing people saying that it couldn't be done ended up just being a chip on my shoulder and I just wanted to prove people wrong. Um, but that was a big self-limiting belief for sure. Um, even like a, from a business perspective, more recently I would say like hitting a bottleneck in, in growth and what, like trying to figure out what the capacity of growth is, because I think there's levels to this game. And then you get to a point where you have to, I mean, it's growing pains, but like to get to the next level, like a lot of big changes have to happen change, yeah. and that's scary. So like, um, self-limiting beliefs around that of like, can it be done? Is it possible? Like those kind of things. Um, 
but man, it's hard. It's hard for me to think of like what a real self-limiting belief would be outside of like age and like uh, the the normal standard set for what success is around me in our environment. You know, growing up, and I would even say like you know there was a. This has been a big motivator of mine, but um, I think a self-limiting belief for a lot of male entrepreneurs is that you can't have it all. Like you can't be successful financially, also have a happy marriage, be a present father, and be fit. Like you just can't. Like you can't do all those things. And so that's always been something in my head of like, it's an, it, it's a scary, it's not really a self-limiting belief because I'm so determined to make sure I can do all those things, but it's always in the back of your mind because it's so fucking hard to do. And so many people say, you just can't do it. Yeah. Like you, you can't focus on Like you're either successful and divorced or like you're happily married and, and broke. And it's yeah. like, I, I just don't see. And that's where there's a lot of like men's coaching groups and stuff that have been created around that. Some of them are complete bullshit and they're just like, piggybacking off of what other people have done to be honest with you um but some of the original ones really changed my life to be honest with you and, and kind of created a new perception of what could be created um so i think that's a big one um i don't know what do you think no i was just sitting here thinking about what what are some of those beliefs that you had to prove yourself wrong not prove other people not mm-hmm. like prove the norm of society or anything but prove yourself i think probably age is part of that big one yeah because that's the one you've probably thought i mean correct me if wrong but like definitely since the beginning like you said but yeah age for sure i think a lot of the other ones proving other people wrong are things you had to push through and maybe prove other people wrong but i think that's a good part of the question is proving yourself wrong yeah um so i think if anybody you're the one that says i could do it i have like yeah but i think uh i think i i attach a lot of Making us think. My, uh, yeah, no shit. I attach a lot of my drive to public accountability. So I think sometimes I am the first to say that I will and I can and I'm going to. And maybe part of that is actually stemming from like, I do have limiting beliefs, but I know if I put it out there, yeah. I am going to do it yeah. because that's just like, it's just how I work. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think uh, man, proving myself wrong, that, that actually that adds a good layer to it for yeah, sure. Totally. Um, yeah, I, I think, think we're good. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, I think the, the age thing and the, the honestly, the, the male entrepreneur thing is probably really big too because oh. that's like, I've experienced it firsthand and it's just, it's, that's a tough one. Cool. All right, we will keep going. Uh, next one comes from Melissa RZ. It says, do you think female celebrities lift or do more cardio-based workouts? It's a funny question. Yeah. Um, I have no idea. I do not think that the... Uh, booty band circuit training that you see on Pinterest sponsored by Chloe Kardashian is effective. If that's what you're asking. Um, and I think that's a real thing. I'm pretty sure that she promotes like a, you think, or, you know, I don't know. Oh, I think, um, I wouldn't doubt it. <laughs> I'm pretty damn sure. I don't know if it's hers or if she was promoting for somebody else, but I'm, she, I want to say Chloe is the one that was married to Lamar, right? Yeah. So yeah, she definitely promoted some kind of fitness thing. Um, but I, I, I think that uh, I think the ones that are natural, I think they do actually lift weights. Um, and like, I, I think I, I mean, there's, there's, I think that's something you shouldn't even have to think about. Yeah. I mean, like if you think of like uh, Don Saladino and there's a couple other guys that like train Ben, uh, uh, what is his fucking name? Ben Bruno. Um, I think he trades Kate uh, Beckinsale. Maybe it was no Jessica Beale. Jessica Beale, I think. I don't know. He trains 
like Justin Timberlake, he trains a bunch of different people. And then Don Saladino trains Ryan Reynolds. I know he trains uh, Ryan Reynolds' wife as well, who is Blake Lively. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I think they strength train. I don't think they do cardio-based stuff. I, th- I mean, to say they don't do cardio would be incorrect. But I think there's, I mean, there's, there's different types of bodies in, you know, with celebrities. There are some celebrities who are just naturally thin. Yeah. And they probably do, like, cardio-based stuff. But they also are just genetically thin, and they don't really do much at all. I think those that actually, like, look really good and they have to train for it, I think they do lift weights because it's science, you know. Yeah. There's also a lot of fillers. I mean, Botox, you can get anywhere. So, like, people can get tummy tucks, boob job, and, and ass implants, and boom, they look like they lift weights. And they won't tell anybody about it. You know what I mean? Like, they'll just promote it. Yeah. So, like, there's, it's really hard to decipher what's real and what's fake, unfortunately, in that world. Um, but if we just look at what actually produces the look most women want, it's lifting weights. Definitely. I mean, at the end of the day. So, um, lifting weights with a moderate amount of cardio. That's, I mean, that's what I would say. Um, so, yeah. Totally. I think, I also think that a lot of times when you see people promoting like um, specific programs, it's most likely bullshit. They're just, selling it for the program's sake. Um, like when it's celebrities. Yep. Uh, especially once I like did a couple podcasts with Don Saladino, was able to talk to him a few times off air and stuff. Like I see what he does with people. You and did a podcast with him? Yeah. Way back. On here? Yeah. Way back. Sick. Um, he trained obviously Ryan Reynolds for Deadpool and all that. He trained Hugh Jackman, Hugh Jackman, yep. Wolverine stuff. Yeah. So, um, but they, I mean, like literally look at their programs. They do the exact same fucking thing that we do. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's literally functional strength training, upper, lower splits, full body splits sometimes, like strength condition. Like it's just, that's what it is. So I don't think they do anything special or crazy. Um, you get Mark Wahlberg trainer. Yeah. No shit. Mark Wahlberg's been jacked since day one. Yeah. And that's the thing too, is he's, he's a he owns like at uh, 45. I promise you, he didn't get to look the way he looks from doing F 45. Yeah. He didn't. F45 is like Orange Theory. It's like circuit training and stuff like that. And there's nothing wrong with F45. Like if you want to do that stuff, if it gets you moving and exercise and stuff, awesome. But you're not going to build a Mark Wahlberg physique from doing that. That dude has been lifting since day one when he was like an OG in Boston. He was like a gangbanger in Boston or something. Yeah. Um, Definitely. Yeah. He's def- He's one of my favorite actors for sure. <laughs> he's, he's, he's dope. I've never seen a bad movie with him. Honestly. Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen a bad movie with him. All right, let's uh, move on to more about uh, women's training. It says, comes from Myrn, uh, I'm going to butcher this, Myrna Salib. Myrna Salib. Hey, Cody, what's the best female training plan on the t- on TCM for an intermediate entry level? I think she means the app. Mm-hmm. So, what's the best female training plan on TCM for an intermediate entry level? Um. Man, that's, that's, I wish you would have told me your goal. Um, okay, if your goal is purely just to get stronger and be healthier, I would say uh, strength and conditioning. Um, it is more lower reps. You're going to be in the like three to eight rep range for most things. There is some like explosive work, some dynamic work, some conditioning based stuff, much more like classic strength and conditioning stuff. So if you just want to build strength, improve your conditioning, improve your health, that's definitely the plan to go with. Um, if you are more interested in a combination of strength and aesthetic goals, like you want to build your physique, but you also care about being strong and stuff, Power Builder for sure. Power Builder is one of my favorite programs for intermediate period just because it's, it's such a well-rounded program. It's very... It's simple but exciting because the variations in it are subtle, so it really keeps you engaged. But like the the 
progression and periodization plan is just, it's just perfect. And usually the problem is with like program design is that uh, the usually very simple things actually work best, but some people can be too impatient mm. to use them because you're like, oh, I'm doing this again this week. Yep. It's been three weeks, the same thing. It's like, yeah, but that's what fucking works. Yeah. Um, and I think that rotates on a four-week cycle, but there's subtle changes in there week to week. But Power Builder is a great program. There's two phases for that one. There's only one phase for strength and conditioning. That's a four-day split, upper, lower. Um, if you are just straight physique oriented uh, and you can train five days a week, female physique. I mean, that's why the program's called that. It's it's designed for more of like a bikini competitor body. Um, you don't have to compete in bikini in order to use it. It's not, uh, it's, it is more advanced, quote unquote, but not more advanced than power builder, uh, but it is more bodybuilding-esque. So higher volume, five days a week, more glute, hamstring, ab focused. Um, so female physique is a really, really good one as well. Um, but those would probably be my three recommendations if you're an intermediate. It's gonna be um, power builder, if you want both strength conditioning, if you want more strength base and then female physique, if you want f- straight physique and you have the time to spend in the gym, Definitely. Um, if you don't have the time to spend in the gym and I would say bulletproof bodybuilding is a good blend too. like bulletproof bodybuilding has a similar feel to power builder in the sense that it is, uh, it's geared towards somebody who wants strength and, um, physique goals. Uh, but there is a, a glute specialization focus in there and there's way more variation. So in some ways that is a disadvantage obviously, but in some ways for people it's more engaging. And if that, gets you to lift heavier because you're excited then yeah. that's a win you know so um that's a really solid one as well totally cool oh and uh, i should probably say you could head to taylortrainerapp.com um or taylorcoachingmethod.com slash taylor dash trainer all those links are in the description of the podcast they sure are all right we got one more coming from us is from salam ativa con dude yeah you didn't you did not do that right. Ativa Khan. I wouldn't have either. Don't worry. Okay. <laughs> Don't ask. Is there a legit way to lose body fat while keeping and or adding new lean muscle? Good question. Absolutely. Um, quick shout out to the blog. We have a really good blog on the website called Body Recomposition, and it kind of goes over um, all the different ways. I think there's different ways here. So, like, number one, we have to understand that, like, so we'll tackle the – lose body fat while gaining lean muscle. Um, that is literally body recomposition. There's two types of body recomposition. One is probably more reserved for people who are going to be newbies in the gym or have had a big layover. So they haven't been in the gym for a long time and they're coming back into the gym scene. Um, and that's going to be like literally simultaneously building muscle and burning fat together, right? This is very difficult because you are in a, you're not in a caloric deficit. So it's hard to lose fat. You're not in a caloric surplus. You're not building muscle. Um, which is why it's probably best uh, accomplished at maintenance um, and just optimizing every little detail, supplements, sleep, progression in the gym, so on and so forth. Um, however, it's very difficult to do. Uh, the only way, the, the really the only way I can guarantee it is when somebody comes to me and their training is really bad. Like they just haven't done, you know, I shouldn't even say really bad. Their training just isn't set up for that. So a, a good example would be somebody comes to us and they've been doing Orange Theory or F45 for a long time. I'm not going to sit here and say your training's horrible. Like, it was doing the job of getting you as fat, getting you in the gym, lifting weights, so on and so forth. But it's not designed to change your physique, like, the way that you're trying to when you ask me this question. So, in that regard, I could take that person, put them on maintenance calories with uh, more of the, the ratio of those calories going to protein and carbs, less to fats, and then put them on a training program that is very progressive, um, and they would see muscle growth while losing fat because 
they're finally creating the right stimulus to do so. And their body's not used to that. So we can milk that for a while before having to periodize better. The other form of recomp is, is a long-term periodization. When somebody like Darshini that I was talking about, she has recomp. She's the same weight as when she started with me a year ago, but she has more muscle and less body fat. So she's leaner, but heavier because she has more muscle. That is a recomp. So she looks better. She looks leaner. She looks denser. She has more muscle tissue, but she's the same exact weight. So she literally burned fat and build muscle, but it wasn't simultaneously. We focused on reverse dieting and then building muscle for a long time. And then we shifted into a cut and started cutting fat while maintaining her muscle tissue. Mm. So I could put a before and after up and say, same weight recomp and just leave it at that. And people would be like, holy shit. You know, they would just in their mind be like, is that two, three months apart? Like they don't know, but it's a year because she actually did a periodized approach. Um, so that's the other way to recomp that I typically suggest because it's more guaranteed and, and it's it's a longer lasting solution. Um, now, maintaining muscle during a cut is 100% possible and easy to do, really. it's I mean, it's proven by science over and over and over again. You just have to make sure you're consuming enough protein in your strength training. So when we're trying to maintain muscle tissue while losing body fat, we just have to um, balance the ratio of muscle protein synthesis to muscle protein breakdown. Muscle protein synthesis is something that is going to help us grow muscle tissue. Muscle protein breakdown is something that breaks down muscle tissue, right? So if we can lower the amount of muscle protein breakdown occurring and increase the amount of muscle protein synthesis occurring, we create a favorable balance and ratio of synthesis and breakdown in order to maintain muscle tissue while losing fat. Because when we go into a calorie deficit, we are in a catabolic state, which is a state of breakdown, right? So your body's trying to break down tissues and fuel sources to survive and do its thing and function processes, all that stuff, which means muscle protein breakdown starts to go up and muscle protein synthesis isn't high enough to mitigate that unless we keep protein high or higher than normal and we strength train adequately. So for strength training, all you need to do is train. Like when you activate a muscle through the gym, you're, when you resistance train, you are spiking muscle protein synthesis. It's done. So for maintaining muscle during a cut, you just need maintenance volume. You don't need more volume in order to maintain muscle. You just need the minimum amount of volume in order to stimulate your muscles to signal the muscle protein synthesis to maintain. So research is probably, uh, they have the one study that showed like an eighth of your volume will maintain muscle. I don't buy that because I think that the people weren't experienced enough in resistance training. I don't think, I think there was a couple things that were, um, I don't know, that just make me leery about how they got those results. And most people will agree that like, although that helps us realize we don't need as much as we thought we did, we're probably still going to err on the side that we need more than that. So for most people, I'm going to say like half the amount of volume is probably good. Um, If you can maintain 75%, even better, you know, Um, you're just guaranteeing. Um, And then for most people, you got to just get your body weight and protein, if not a little bit more, and then split it up evenly throughout the day so that you're consuming protein every three to five hours, except when you're sleeping. So if we can just spike muscle protein synthesis with every meal, because just like resistance training, when we consume a certain amount of protein, usually it's like, for most people, it depends on your weight, but we're trying to hit a certain leucine threshold. So basically... The amount of protein you consume, there's a certain amount of amino acids in that meal with the protein, and there's a certain amount of leucine, which is one amino acid in that meal. Leucine is the main trigger for muscle protein synthesis. Mm-hmm. So you have to have enough protein for your body weight in order to spike muscle protein synthesis effectively. Usually for people, that's just a minimum of 20 grams per meal. Um, if the heavier you are, the more that goes up. Like for example, for me, I usually try to stay between 30 and 45 grams per meal. It's like my like kind of set point that I stay within. Um, and if I'm gonna cut, as long as I do that, and I'm strength training, I'm going to be keeping muscle protein synthesis high, breakdown low. 
I'm going to be able to maintain as much muscle as possible. And then when I get to the point where it looks like I'm losing muscle, it's most likely not that I'm actually losing muscle. It's most likely that I'm in a calorie deficit. I'm not eating many carbs and I'm depleted. Totally. And if I ate a bunch of carbs and drink some water, I would just fill right up and I'd look like I have all the muscle back. But it's, so it's, it's cause it's muscle glycogen just being depleted. So, um, is it possible? 100%. Recomp is looked at a few different ways. And then uh, you just got to make sure you're eating enough protein strength training. That's like the biggest thing. So um, I think that breaks it down. But like I said, there is a blog on our website called Body Recomposition. I believe it's on the homepage. You can actually just find it or you can search it. Um, but on top of that, you guys should all go check out tailoredcoachingmethod.com slash blog because there are literally 500 plus articles, research reviews, all kinds of stuff, as well as the podcast is hosted there. We have uh, four different free guides from training programs, recipe guides, nutrition manuals, all kind of free stuff over at tailoredcoachingmethod.com. And last but not least, of course, you can access daily workouts with a tailored trainer and one-on-one coaching on the website as well. So go check all that out if you're interested in learning more or getting better results. And uh, yeah, we appreciate you guys listening. We'll catch you next time. 